Casinos in Space by Howard Berenbaum. Copyright 2019 by Howard Berenbaum slash CyberTimes LLC. All rights reserved. Chapter 3. Restless. It was 2 a.m. and Paul could barely keep his eyes open. He sat dozing in and out of a restless sleep as the monorail raced toward the Mirage Hotel and Casino. He dreamt of a life-and-death struggle with enemy agents for a secret invention. He dreamt of the entity, Slim, from old Las Vegas, who was helping him win at the tables. He dreamt of Brenda and Tina and the nude dancer in the private bar in the aft of the Las Vegas. He dreamt of the bouncer who threw him out when he complained that $900 was too expensive for two mixed drinks. He dreamt of Jane, his wife, and his friends with him on his vacation. Then he awoke feeling ill and full of guilt and sadness. Mirage Hotel and Casino, the computer said loudly. Please exit when the door opens. Paul, startled by the announcement, jumped up and hit his head on the rail above. Ouch, he said. The top of his head started hurting, which added to a headache caused by the four vodkas he drank earlier while playing blackjack. A pain shot through his right shoulder reminding him of the humiliation and hurt caused by being thrown out of the bar. Where was Slim, he thought as he waited for the monorail door to open. Or was there really such a person? Could he have imagined this old-time gambler? Was he having another nervous breakdown? His hands began to tremble. I can't be having a breakdown, he said loudly, the sound echoing throughout the empty monorail car as the door opened. I'm not sick anymore, he mumbled as he exited the car. Slim is a real person. As he dragged his body toward the elevator, he was agonizing on what to tell Jane. He could explain his late hours with Slim, but feared her reactions to his cavorting with other women in a bar. Mark and Barry would find his story ridiculously funny and laugh at his paying $450 for a drink. Then they'd turn around and ask for directions to the private bar so they could sneak off and see for themselves. Barry would never let him hear the end of it. He'd make up a stupid joke and then laugh to himself even if no one else thought it was funny. He was not looking forward to that. Paul found his way back to his room, quietly undressed, and then slipped into bed next to the sleeping woman he loved. He forced himself to put aside all thoughts of the evening and fell into a restless sleep. The next morning, after an enormous breakfast buffet, the group, without Paul and Jane who decided to sleep in, strolled into the Luxor Casino to gamble. It was just after 9 a.m., though they wouldn't have known it by the crowd. It could have been any time, night or day. Casinos have a way of freezing time. You could gamble all night and sleep all day. You could eat breakfast at the dinner hour or dinner at midnight. You could drink their complimentary drinks 24 hours a day, if you desired. Elena Elena and Susan wandered over to an empty, non-smoking, blackjack table while the men walked on to an occupied roulette wheel. As Mark and Barry approached the table, they observed the croupier stacking chips while the players were covering the playing field with new, colored, chips. One, short, stocky man stood near the wheel waiting to place his bet. He had a notepad in his hand and was keeping track of each spin. The croupier, holding the small white roulette ball between his thumb and index finger, flicked it onto the rim. As the ball took off, 
speeding almost invisibly around the wheel the man placed a $100 bill on black. After several spins, the ball began to slow, and then teetered on the edge ready to fall onto the gently spinning wheel. Double zero, the croupier said. No winners. Damn, the stocky player said as the chips were swept from the table. The other players began placing their bets. This time, some chips covered the green zero and double zero. After all players finished placing their bets, the croupier picked up the ball and shot it around the rim again. The stocky man watched the ball for a moment and then quickly placed a $100 bill on black. After several trips around the rim, the ball slowed and then dived directly onto the green double zero. Two women, who bet double zero, screamed happily. See, Wanda, numbers repeat, one woman said as she collected her chips. The stocky man frowned and said, damn. I agree with the woman, Barry said to Mark. Numbers do repeat. He opened his wallet and pulled out a $100 bill. I'm ready to bet, he said as he placed the bill on the table. I'd like $5 chips. After the croupier zipped the ball around the rim, Barry quickly placed his bets. No more bets, please, the croupier said as the ball gradually lost speed and slowed until it fell onto the single green double zero once again. Yes. Barry exclaimed with a loud laugh. Great, Mark added. We won again, Wanda screamed. Damn it again, said the stocky man losing $200. Barry picked up his winnings and then waited for the croupier to spin again. He bet $25 on five numbers and was ahead $150. He left his winning bet on the number and then waited for the croupier to spin before placing his next bet. As the ball slowed and entered the spinning wheel, it bounced around in and out of numbers before it came to rest on the wheel. Barry knew he was going to lose, and he did. The number was 32, nowhere near double zero, his newly selected area. Can't win them all, Barry said. The croupier glanced up at him making eye contact, and Barry smiled. What went wrong? Mark asked, looking concerned. It bounced, Barry said softly. It has to go in smoothly to give us a chance. Oh, yes, Mark responded. That makes sense. It was time for a croupier change, and a tall blonde woman, with long flowing hair partially covering her face, stepped in as the replacement. Then their luck changed. Most of the spins went in smoothly, aiding Barry's semi-scientific system. Barry and Mark were ahead almost $1,200 in 15 minutes, and they were attracting a crowd. The stocky man, who had been playing only black or red, was still losing. But he recovered somewhat when he decided to bet along, along with Barry. When they were over $2,000 ahead on their winning streak, Barry whispered to Mark, we'd better start losing. I didn't realize we were going to attract attention. Mark nodded agreement, and they started to bet more money on the same numbers. This was a common practice for people with roulette systems. They would select three or four numbers, and then continue to bet large amounts until they won or lost. Barry had seen this system used when he was on a trip to Aruba, an island near South America. A man bet on 27, 28, 29 and 30 until he walked away with over $1,000. The next day, Barry saw the same man betting the same numbers, 
and again he was ahead $500. There was no way that he could continue winning if it was totally random. Something affected the wheel. The big winner was Jack from Rhode Island, who said he studied all the roulette wheels until he found one that looked like it was repeating numbers. In this case the numbers 27, 28, 29, and 30 were up more often. He thought that it was a balance problem that helped numbers repeat. It sounded somewhat plausible to Barry, and in this case the method worked. Unfortunately, Barry didn't take into account good luck, and he won again after two spins. He was now ahead $2,500, but was sure that the system would give out, and it did. He was losing $200 a spin, now down $1,400. Fortunately, the crowds dispersed without suspecting that they had been winning beyond the laws of probability. They left $1,000 ahead, but not without arousing the suspicion of one person. It was the stocky man who was now following them as they stopped at the table where Susan and Elena were playing blackjack. A pile of chips and some drinks were on the green playing surface in front of them. No one noticed the man or his slight limp. Cards were flying across the crowded table as a new hand was beginning. The dealer was a woman, and she was doing well for herself and for the players. She had silver dollars and chips bulging from her two shirt pockets, now weighing her down. She was laughing and everyone was cheering as she dealt two blackjacks in a row. Susan and Elena were the recipients. She continued to deal to herself and busted with a count of 24. After loading her overloaded pockets with more tips, she smiled at everyone and then dealt another game. You two seem to be doing well, Barry said. I would say, Elena replied. I am $300 ahead of myself. I'm not doing badly, either, Susan said. We can't lose. I'm up $400. This woman is a great dealer. I'm just doing my job, the dealer said. We don't mind that, Barry said. And we're ahead too. They didn't notice that the stocky man taking a closer look. He stopped and stared at Barry, as if he knew something. When Barry looked up, the man scurried to the next table and sat down. That bastard is doing something, Martin Landry muttered to himself as he placed a $100 chip in the wager box. The dealer dealt him a 10 and a 2. Damn. Damn doesn't mean a thing to me, the dealer said. What do you want to do, sir? The dealer had a 10 showing. Oh, sorry. Go ahead and hit me. Ace, the dealer announced. Next time, please scrape your finger on the felt toward you. That's the proper way to request a card. Hit me, hit me again, Martin said sheepishly, knowing he could bust with 13. But the dealer did not respond. Oh, I'm sorry, he said and placed his hand on the table and motioned for a card. It was likely the dealer had 20, so he had to try. Jack of spades, the dealer said. Busted, Martin said, and thought, how can someone have dumb luck at roulette and win thousands? while someone skilled at blackjack loses for no logical reason. It's unfair, he said out loud. Then he noticed Mark and Barry starting to leave and stood up to follow them. Sorry, you're having bad luck, so the dealer said. Better luck next time. As Martin moved away from his bad luck and into the aisle, he wasn't watching where he was going and collided with Mark and Barry. 
all three went down onto the carpet as the pit boss watched intently. Often, criminals use this approach for pickpocketing, but he didn't notice any wallets flying. Oh, I am so sorry, gentlemen, Martin said. I am a clumsy oaf. Please accept my apologies. He hadn't intended to meet them this way. Can I buy you drinks at the pub? I'd like to make up for my clumsiness. Ah, uh, well, sure, Barry said glancing at Mark. It's okay with me. We don't mind meeting new people, but this was a bit unusual. The Luxor bar was a very comfortable place with plush couches and high-backed chairs, furniture following the Egyptian theme. It was not surprising the bar was quiet and empty when they entered, since drinks were only free while gambling. It was also a nice place to take a break from the noises and excitement of the casino, without going back to the hotel room. A large sign at the entrance announced that coffee was free for the asking, while alcoholic beverages were available for a modest fee. The air was cool and clean, void of the smell and taste of cigar and cigarette smoke of the casino. They could hear the soft strumming of a guitar from the other end of the room. The room. The performer was on a lighted stage, while the rest of the room was darkened. It was a peaceful oasis in the simulated desert. The three sat down on a circular couch, an ornate engraved table in front of them. The waitress then appeared, dressed in Egyptian garb, to take their order. I'll take a European beer, if you have it? Barry asked. I'll have the same, Mark said. A martini for me, Martin Landry said. So, what are you gentlemen doing on the starship? Well, Barry said, pausing. We're on a long-needed gambling vacation. That goes for me, Martin said. I haven't gambled in years, and the opportunity to spend my money to make money, here in space, was something I had never done before. You see, I earn money the hard way. I invest in things that you wouldn't believe could make you a fortune. We're college professors, Mark volunteered, but not really wanting to talk about himself or their company, the Hollow Exchange. The vacation was to get away from work, and he definitely didn't want to talk about it. What about you, Martin? Barry asked. What do you invest in? Well, lately we're into recycling cemeteries. We build nine-hole and miniature golf courses above our departed loved ones. You might as well make some money on otherwise unusable property. Spend some time with your loved ones without getting bored. If you're interested in seeing our brochures, I brought a few with me. The bottom line is, it will only cost you $10,000 to invest in our limited partnership. We have a great proven return on investment. Believe it or not, break-even is only two years. Oh, interesting, Barry said, not at all interested in investing, but not knowing what to say. I heard there are some great golf courses in the vegan system. But I'm not sure about cemeteries. I do intend to check them out when we arrive, Martin said. I will leave no stone unturned. He paused and then laughed. Very amusing, Mark said, but not amused. Maybe we'll see you on the boardwalk on Vega 1? Maybe you will, Martin said. Paul wandered almost aimlessly around the casino, partly trying to find Barry and Mark, and partly just to forget his fight with Jane. She was still fuming over the report of his encounter with the topless women? He walked by the bar not thinking that his friends would be there drinking, 
and strolled into the maze of multicolored and flashing gambling machines and green top tables with smoking and drinking patrons winning and losing at dice and cards. As he was walking toward a crowded roulette table, a shimmering light appeared in his path. Suddenly, Slim's body formed and then solidified. Bracing himself for a collision, Paul walked right through the apparition. Howdy, partner, Slim said walking toward the roulette wheel. Come over here, boy. We're going to win at roulette. Slim was standing next to the table as Paul approached. I don't want to play roulette, Paul protested. I don't want to play anything. I'm just looking for my friends. Go away. Slim disappeared from where he stood, and the next second he was perched on top of the roulette wheel, balancing on one foot and rotating slowly. With each revolution, Paul could see his big grin. It's easy and fun and I'll let you win a sum, Slim said laughing. Get down, down from there, Paul said. They're going to call security and take you away. No one can see me but you, little buddy. Now place your bets. Goodbye, Paul said, and then turned and walked through the casino looking back occasionally. After ten minutes of wandering and passing several rows of electronic slot machines, Paul decided to take a chance. He stopped and found three silver dollars in his pocket and dropped them into an unoccupied machine, each coin ringing a bell as it entered. He then pressed the spin button and the cherries and plums and oranges began to spin on the video screen. As the wheels stopped one by one, three oranges appeared along with electronic chimes and bells announcing that Paul had won. He pulled up a stool and sat down. With $100 he could play for a while, and with the casino's money. He looked around to check if Slim was nearby. Confident that he was alone, Paul pressed maximum bet on the machine for a relaxing game of slots without Slim or anyone else to bother him. He thought it was unusual to win so frequently on a slot machine, since it wasn't the best game to play, but he was hitting on every other spin. In no time he had accumulated over 2,000 credits, and was already humming the musical ditty that accompanied his wins, which sounded a little like it's a small world from a Disney ride of the same name. It was addictive. After a long streak of losses, and then a longer streak of wins, he was getting hungry and thirsty. But he didn't want to leave his lucky machine, so he stopped a passing cocktail waitress. Could I trouble you to bring me a pastrami sandwich on rye and a beer, please? I will gladly pay in advance for both the sandwich and the drink, miss. Oh, not a problem, sir, the pretty waitress said. I will have to charge you for the sandwich, but it's no charge for drinks while you're playing. I don't mind paying, and I will pay in advance as I said. He handed her a $20 bill. Thank you, she said. I'll place your order as soon as I drop off this one drink. Be back soon. As she left, Paul caught the scent of her perfume, and it lingered as he continued to play. It seemed like he had been waiting hours when the waitress returned with his lunch. Howdy, honey, she said. And, no charge. Paul looked up and was startled to see Slim's head on the woman's body. Oh. He said, jumping up, almost knocking down her tray. Then he looked again, and it was the face of the pretty woman who took his order. She looked startled. Sorry, he said. I thought you were someone else. He paused and then said, keep the change and thank you.
Well, thank you very much, sir, she said, and then kissed him on the cheek.